Let's face it, there's a lot to think about in life, right? There's a lot to think about. I mean, we've got so much to think about every day. As we begin our day, we've got to get ready. We've got to get going. We've got, of course, the entire agenda for the day. We've got, uh, perhaps it's school. And for many of, it's, of us, it's work. And a whole lot of stuff in between. And then when we get done with all that, then there's a whole lot more to deal with. It's cutting grass and getting the mail and taking care of things that have to be tended to. And then, of course, then we turn our attention to all the stuff that's going on out there that we're being bombarded with, whether it's through our devices or television or perhaps YouTube, Snapchat, whatever it is, there's all kinds of information coming our way, things that we can set our minds on, things that we can think about. Some of it is, well, let's be honest, some of it's depressing. Some of it is not uplifting. It's depressing. It, it brings us down. There's a lot going on that would be those things that we wouldn't really care to think about, but per, perhaps because we're bombarded with the messages, we're bombarded with the information that we think about and we dwell on some of that stuff. Whether it's what's going on in our country nationally, whether it's perhaps... Uh, you know, our minds are drawn away even the last couple of days to this hurricane that's hitting the coast of Texas and everything in between. But tonight I want to tell you, I want to invite you to think about the love of Christ. And I want to ask you, because we all know about the love of God, you wouldn't be here tonight if you didn't think about the love of God from time to time. But I want to tonight encourage you to realize that we need to think about, we need to dwell upon the love of Christ in our lives because it's incredible and, and more unfathomable than we can perhaps imagine. But tonight we're going to try to fathom at least some more of it. Amen? I want to take us to a text of Scripture. It's found in the Gospel of John. And it's in a section of scripture in the Gospel of John where the Gospel of John kind of takes a turn. The, the beginning part of the Gospel is talking about Christ coming on the scene and the ministry of Christ and who he was as the light of the world coming into the darkness, piercing the darkness, coming in to dwell with the condition of man. And then, of course, as we go forward in the Gospel of John, we see all, this, all these instances of Christ, Jesus Christ, dealing with various people and, and bringing his light, the light of God, to, to bear upon the darkness of those that were around. And, and the love of, of Christ and, 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 and his mercy and grace. And then it comes to chapter 13 and there's the sudden turn because at this, it's at this point in the Gospel of John that the Gospel begins to focus upon what Christ actually came into the world to do. He was going to go to the cross. He was going to depart once again to the Father. And what I want to do is I want to read this verse because not only is this a transition section in the Gospel of John, but this verse that we're going to look at tonight is a transition verse. But it's not to be overlooked. Amen? In fact, it's got a lot to say to us about the love of God. It says this, John chapter 13, verse 1. 
Now, before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. If you're taking notes tonight, I got a couple points, and it's going to be brief, a little bit briefer tonight. But I've got a couple points that if, you're t- if you are taking notes, you can write these down. And the first one is this tonight. Jesus' presence on earth proves his love. This verse, this first verse of John 13, again, it really sets the table for the rest of the gospel. It looks forward to the cross and Jesus' return to the Father because we know that Jesus is going to ascend once again to the Father. And it tells us of the great love that Jesus has that he's demonstrated past tense and that he would demonstrate to the fullest extent. Now we get a little inkling here, we get a timestamp. You say, you know, you look on your device and you get a text and you say, oh, well, when did that come in, right? Oh, it was 414, right? Why didn't you text me earlier? Well, I, da, 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 da. well no, the timestamp said 414, you text, okay. Anyways, this is a little timestamp in scripture. So timestamps are nothing new. The timestamp here says this, now before the feast of the Passover. Now before the feast of the Passover. And so this gives us that time frame of where, when this event was taking place. And so before the feast of, the ta- of Passover, and now the Jesus and the disciples are going to the feast of Passover. This was the particular Passover that Jesus looked so forward to celebrating with his disciples, and it was the Passover that literally where he would become the Passover lamb. They wouldn't just eat the Passover lamb, they would literally witness the Passover lamb be crucified for all of us. So now before the Passover, it gives us the time reference. Jesus is about to share a meal with his disciples, and then he's going to, after that meal, he's going to go, he's going to be arrested, and he's going to be taken into custody, and then the following day he's going to go to the cross. And so this is the occasion of this verse. But we're told a little bit more. It says, now at the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father. Jesus knew that his hour had come. If you look in, if you read the Gospels, if you read the Scriptures, you'll realize that the, the death of Christ, what happened to Christ, well, it didn't happen to him. It didn't happen to him. He came to accomplish that. And so when you look at this, you, you have this understanding because Jesus knew that his hour had come. He knew that there was an hour coming because this is the reason why he came into the world. He came into the world for a specific hour. And all of that time leading up to it was important things that he was accomplishing, but it was all prelude for the hour that was coming and that he knew had come upon him. There were many times in the Gospels where people tried to, because of something Jesus said that they didn't like, that they tried to lay hold of him, they tried to take him into custody, and there were times that literally they even tried to stone him. And when you come to those places, it's, it's great because there's those couple verses where it says, and they tried to stone him, but he slipped away from them, 
for his hour had not yet come, right? And, and so they couldn't lay a hold of him ahead of God's time frame. And this is just a great message that we have in the scriptures. Now, Jesus here, he knew that his hour had come. God is never taken by surprise, amen? Whatever you may go through, whatever happens upon the face of this earth, God is not taken by surprise. And God is loving you all the way through it, right up to the moment that may be a tough hour for you. For our family right now, let me tell you, tonight is a tough hour. It's a tough hour to contemplate, but it has not taken our Lord by surprise. He's right there with us tonight. He's right there with you, whatever you're going through, and he's with you. We are the ones often taken by surprise, but God never is. And we've just got to be reminded that he will always be with us. Now, what specifically was this hour that had come that Jesus knew? It was the hour that Jesus would depart from this world to the Father. And I want to stop and back up to that main point that we're looking at here. Jesus' presence on earth proves his love. Now, he knew that he would, he knew that his hour had come and that he would depart for the Father. The hour of going to the cross, of demonstrating the perfect love of God for us on the cross, laying down his life, becoming the perfect sin sacrifice, buying us, purchasing us, atoning, doing that perfect atoning work of the work of salvation on the cross. And then, of course, he would depart for the Father. He would ascend into heaven after the resurrection. And so because there was that specific hour that Jesus was coming to the earth, his presence on the earth proves his love for us. Because the, the very fact that he was here, the very fact that, that, that the Son of God was here, incarnate, embodied in the, in the physical body of Christ, proves the love of God. Because it was his presence here coming to this earth, being embodied, it was his presence that was the, became the demonstration of his love. He came into this world to seek and save that which is lost. He came for this very hour to lay down his life for the sins of the world, for the people of the world. And so his presence proves his love. Now, just not too long ago, we had a movie night. There were a few of us out here for the movie night. We had a great time. But one of the things that was interesting about that movie, God's Not Dead, number two, was that in the movie, there was this teacher that had answered an historical question about Jesus. And she was, because she had literally quoted Jesus as his words are recorded in the New Testament, she was called on the carpet and she was reprimanded. And then uh, she was going to be punished. And literally, it was a whole court case ensued. So when the case went to court, the defense decided to take as their strategy that because she's a history teacher, that they would then prove beyond a reasonable doubt the, histor the, the historicity of the person of Jesus Christ. And therefore, as an historical figure that, hey, why can't you telling me I'm a history teacher and I can't quote a, an actual historical figure? I mean, someone that there's more proof that he actually lived and breathed and walked on fa the face of the earth than much of ancient history? And, of course, they brought, 
you know, they had, this, they had these great witnesses that they brought to the stand. One of them was Lee Strobel, and then the other one was J. Warner Wallace, if you get that book, The Cold Case Christianity. And, uh, and so anyways, they presented this case of the historicity of Jesus' existence, that he did physically walk the earth. His presence on the earth proves his love for us because he came into this world for this very purpose. He came into the world for a specific purpose. He came to give his life for you on Calvary. Now I want to look at this word here in in the verse. It says, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father. I want you to look at that word, this, because I think that that is an interesting word there. Um, We don't often pay attention to words, you know, a word like that may seem inconsequential. The, this, or whatever. Those words might seem inconsequential, but they're not. You notice the use of the word this, the, the scripture tells us that it was time for him to depart from this world. And so in grammar, this is called the, it's called a definitive article. It's, it's this world uh, saying, as opposed to another world. It's literally, literally telling us in this verse of scripture that this isn't the only world, that there's another world. Amen. That he was he was about to leave this world and depart to the heavenly Father, to the world of of heaven. Amen. And so Jesus would soon be departing for the world where he came from, and he would be leaving this world. And I believe that today that we need to possess the same understanding. That we need to think about. This when we think about the love of God, because God's love is perfect for us, and it has to do with not only our lives here in this world, but our lives as we would, if we do follow him, to go on into the next world, the world of heaven, amen? And there is that other world. And that's why it's in times, perhaps perfect example is the exact scenario that our family's going through, that we come to this idea that, hey, we, we don't have a hope only for this world. The love of Christ isn't something that just consoles us and, and makes us feel better for today and gets us through our week or, or all those. That, and that may be true. The love of Christ definitely gets you through your week and the tough times here on the earth. But we have a hope not just for this world. There's another place, another time and another place And it's a reality. And this passage tells us of this reality. We have to possess and maintain this same understanding when it comes to the world. And what we need here is we need this understanding that we are departing soon too. We we don't often like to think about that, but... We need to be reminded of it. The Bible says that our lives are like grass. It literally compares our human lives, the time span of it, to, a, to grass that grows up in the morning and is cut down in the afternoon. 
And this is, this is the example of our life. And so we need to realize as Christians that the love of God is there for us and going to take us through not only this life, but into the next life, and that this life isn't all there is. And we've got to, because of this reality and understanding, we've got to hold lightly. We've got to hold lightly uh, to this world. We need to not hold so tightly. And we do tend to hold tightly. But Jesus said in this same gospel, the gospel of John, in chapter 12, verse 25, I'll actually have it on the screen for you. This is what he said. He said, he who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And what's the principle here? It is realizing that this isn't all there is and there's something more. And what we're, what we're asked to do is we're asked to lose our life for him. It's not like we just go out and drop our life off somewhere in the field and say, oh, okay, we just lost our life. We have no idea what we're doing. No, we give our lives over to, to Christ. We live for him. He's, he's our everything because he came into this world and he loved us fully and he loved us completely. And if we've been impacted by the love of Christ, if we have any understanding of what the love of God means in our lives, then the response should be that we give our lives to him fully in that sense that we lose our life on his behalf and we'll find that we actually keep it for eternal life. Amen? In perspective for the Christian, we're holding lightly to this world and we have a firm grip on eternity and our Lord Jesus Christ. You notice that Jesus is going to depart and go to the Father. He's going to the Father. It's interesting when people talk about heaven, people want to know, people want to know about heaven, right? You want to know about heaven? Um, Perhaps the best way that you could know about heaven is if some, somehow God were to take you to heaven just for, you know, just give you a glimpse of it and then bring you back. And then you'd be like, oh, well, you're not going to believe this. When people talk about heaven that have never been there, they like to talk about all kinds of stuff, all these peripheral things about heaven. You know, the questions are, well, what's it going to be like and what kind of bodies? Those are great questions. Those are good questions, interesting questions. You know, I mean, are there going to be burritos in heaven? And you know, those are those are those are the type of questions that are that are, you know, very important, and we need to have an answer to those type of questions. But every time I, every time in Scripture that it comes to some talk of heaven, it we always see the person of God and His throne. And for us as, as believers, if we've been impacted by the love of God, we're not looking forward to just going to a place. We're looking to going to be with a person. Right. Amen? Right. And, and, and there's, a, there's a difference in the perspective. Mm-hmm. 
and hopefully, perhaps, maybe there's an elementary aspect of looking forward to, yeah, 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 we're going to go to heaven, and it's going to be, it's going to be a ball, and, and, and um, you know, who was it years ago that sang the song about, you know, we're going to play football in heaven and all that fun stuff? That's all great and, and great to think about, and, you know, I, I do know that there's an ocean in heaven, so I do, there's probably some surfing going on down there. Um, there's a crystal sea, and I heard that the, the surf is really great. Um, but anyways, but every time I see heaven in the scriptures, it's focused on the person and the throne. In fact, when John's taken up into the heavenlies in, John, in Revelation chapter 4, what's the first thing he says? I was taken up into heaven, and behold, there was a throne. Amen? So it's, 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 it's always about God. It's about the Lord. And if you have come into a loving relationship with God, he should have so impacted your life and what he has done for you and what he's loved and how he's loved you that you are loving him. You love him. He is a person and we have a relationship with him. Amen? The, The scripture tells us what the real glory of heaven is. It's to be with the Lord. Amen? To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Now, let's, let's finish it up tonight. Jesus loves his own. Go back to John 13, verse 1. Jesus knew that the hour had come that he should depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Jesus loves his own. Jesus loves his own. After all the ministry and, and everything that Jesus did, you think of all the ministry events, all those moments in Jesus' life where love just poured out from him, whether it was him ministering to the woman at the well, speaking those words and just cutting her to the very core, or what, maybe it was that time that he cast the demons out of the guy and just set this guy in his right mind. Or maybe it was that time where he fed the 5,000 with the little boy's lunch. Or maybe it was the time that he was just in the crowd and the woman with the issue of blood had pressed through the crowd just to touch the edge of his garment. You think of all these ministry moments and and. Here, Jesus has come to the the very hour that he's come on the earth, and he's with these disciples that were the closest to him. And here we're reminded, and the, the gospel writer tells us that Jesus loved his own. There is a love that Jesus has for all people, and then there's a love that Jesus has for his own and when I say that, it's, you kind of, it begs a question, now, wait a second, does Jesus have a different love for everyone else and then the people that are his, that there's a different kind of love? Well, you know that to be true because love, there's the, love kind of interacts with love. And so the, one of the reasons why God's given us free will is because he didn't want us to have, we don't have like some type of a robotic, automaton type of relationship with God. He didn't want that. He loved, for, in, in other words, in, in order for us to love him, which is the greatest commandment, there have, had to be choice. There had to be given the, the free will and the choice to choose to love. Because if there's no free will to choose love, then you don't have true love at that point. You have some, something else. 
and you have some other concoction of some type of a robotic thing that, that maybe could be articulated. But love, kind of, there's a dynamic in a love relationship. And Jesus loved his own. Amen? It says having loved his own. Think about how Jesus loved the disciples. When I was looking at this, I was thinking about all those times when Jesus was with the disciples. And man, I wish we had recorded more instances of, of, of that. And maybe we can talk when we get to heaven. But there were the times that Jesus called his disciples. And remember, the, you know, he, I think it was Peter's brother, Andrew, right, came over and, hey, I, I saw you when you were over there. <laughs> you know, I saw you when you were over there. And, and, uh, and, and, and Jesus is just loving them every minute all along the, the way. He's calling them into relationship with him. I, I can remember when Jesus came up to, to, uh, to, to Matthew, Levi, right, and just said, come follow me. And Matthew just literally gets down off. He's a tax collector. He gets down. He's working like a, there were these toll booths where you had to come and pe- when you passed through the land, you had to pay these, toll, these, these taxes, these tolls, so to speak. And he literally got down off of the tax booth and followed Christ. There were the times that he taught them, times that he loved them, times that he protected them, time, the, the times that he came out to them when they were, remember the, the scene where he comes out to them on the sea and the winds and the waves are going crazy and here he comes walking to them on the sea and Peter says, if it's you, Lord, call me out on the the sea with you. There was that time. There was the other time when the storm came up and and Jesus was asleep in the boat. And he was loving them the whole time he was asleep in the boat too. Whether he was walking to them in, in in the midst of the storm or whether he was asleep in the back of the boat, he was loving them, caring for them, doing everything. Jesus taught the disciples everything. He taught them how to be men. He taught them how to love God. He told them how to be filled with the Spirit. Amen? They were the ones that were there and saw the Spirit descend upon him at the baptism. Amen? Jesus provided for them. After the feeding of the 5,000, you'll remember that there were 12 baskets left over. You remember that? Twelve baskets. Now, why were there twelve baskets left over? Because each of the disciples got a doggy bag to take home. <laughs> Amen. And that's because Jesus takes care. He loves you. He's to eat, eat, eat. He provides. He's a provider. He loves you. He loved these guys. Jesus protected them. Jesus calmed the storm. Jesus had comfort and compassion for them. We're reminded of even Jesus at the, at the grave of Lazarus. And when the text tells us that he came to the very grave and he, and, and, and he wept, Jesus wept. Why did Jesus cry? Why did he weep? He, he was moved with compassion for his friend, his own. Amen? He loved his own. Now, I want to just take a look at that last phrase there before we bring it all the way to a close. 
it says this, he loved them to the end. He loved them to the end. And this is, this is where the verse ends with this incredible phrase. He loved them to the end. Here we see the love and care of the good shepherd. He loved them to the end. But when you read that, it kind of begs a question. The end of what? Did he love them? Does he love us to an end and then there's the end of it? It's better, better understood by looking at the meaning of the word end. The word here means and would better be translated to the fullest extent. He loved them to the fullest extent. This is how he loves us. His love doesn't come to an end. He loves us in every which way that we can possibly be loved. He loves us to the fullest extent. He loves you so much right now. He knows everything about you. He knows your thoughts. He knows, he knows everything that you did this week. He knows every place that you were. But he loves you. And he loves you, he loves you to the end. He loves you to the fullest extent. And, and we need to think about it. We need to think about it. As far as you could love someone, that's how he loves us. As far as you could love someone. He loves us to the fullest extent. He loves us perfectly. He loves us completely. Now, some translations have it, he loved them to the uttermost. He loved them to the end. He loved them to the fullest extent. He loved them to the uttermost. I kind of like that, too. He loved them to the uttermost. Jesus poured out the cup of his love to the bottom of us. Think about it. Jesus pours out his love to the bottom of you. That's how much he loves you. Now, the Apostle Paul talks a lot about the love of God. Amen? And in, in, the, in, the, in the epistle to the Ephesians, in, in Ephesians chapter 3, he talks about the love of God. And this is what he tells the Ephesians in chapter 3, verse 18. I'll have it on the screen for you. It says this, and this is in the New Living Translation that I don't often use, but I like this, this uh, translation. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is his love. His love is. Amen? Amen. You see, when Paul was talking about the love of God, Paul's a thinker, right? Paul's wanting the Ephesians to truly understand, to comprehend, to be blown away by, to be impacted with the love of God. He wants us to have the power to understand it. If we can, if we can conceive, if we can fathom it for at least a little bit, if there's a little, bit of, a little piece of it tonight that you can fathom, I, I want you to be gifted with the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how high, how, lo how long, how high, and how deep his love is. When Paul was talking about the love of God, here he was talking about it fourth dimensionally. Fourth dimensionally. What's that? Okay, I'm here's my movie reference, all right? <clears throat> I already had the burrito reference. I don't think, I don't think there's a, well, I'm going to throw out my music reference right here too. So I'm going to get all three of them. The Bee Gees had a song, How Deep Is Your Love? All right. 
So, <laughs> okay. So that's, so there you go. Okay, so I got my burrito. I got my BG song. Here's the movie reference, all right? Back to the Future. Remember how many Back to the Future fans do we have out there? Yeah, yeah, Back to the Future. Okay. Okay, the whole thing breaks down in the second one. Okay, that's okay, but we won't go there. All right, the whole concept, because anyways, Marty wouldn't have been go, Biff wouldn't have been able to go back to bring the DeLorean. Anyways, okay, so we'll get to that. But here, in the third one, remember when they're going to hijack the train and use the train, and they're somehow going to get the train up to 88 miles an hour to push the DeLorean across the tracks, but there's no tracks across the ravine. Remember? And so Doc is trying to get Marty to understand how this is all going to happen. And he's like, I, I, I'm not getting it. We're going to do this and, and, and we're just going to go off into the, into the ravine, right? And Doc says to Marty, Marty, you're not thinking fourth dimensionally, <laughs> right? You're not thinking fourth dimensionally. You got to realize that when we get this thing up to 88, that when you go back to the future, you're the, the train tracks are going to be there and you're going to glide across the ravine safely to the other side. You've got to think fourth dimensionally. Paul, all the way back in the New Testament, was trying to get us to think fourth dimensionally. Right here, he says, how wide, how long, there it is how high and how deep. Okay, so you have all of the three, the three dimensional directions and then how long, how long is that fourth dimension? And so we've got to think fourth dimensionally. We've got to think fourth dimensionally about the love of Christ. It's about every bit of the love of Christ that he has for us right now and every bit that he's going to continue to love us to the fullest extent, as much as anybody could love someone, that's how he will continue to love us. Amen? Yes. Now, it says he loved them to the fullest extent. They would be there in the upper room celebrating Passover. Jesus is loving those guys. He gets, after the rest of this passage, we're not going to get into it, but the rest of this passage is where Jesus actually takes up a towel and a water basin and washes their feet. He takes the lowest job, the lowest job of a servant, and he washes the feet of all the disciples. Now, this is what he knows when he's washing the dirty feet of the disciples. He knows Peter would deny him. He knows Thomas wouldn't much have much faith that the resurrection was true, right? Unless I see the wounds, unless I'm able to touch his side, I won't believe. He knew that they would, after the, after the crucifixion, that they would be scattered all over the place. But he loved them to the fullest extent. He loved them to the uttermost. He loved them all the way to the cross of Calvary and beyond, and he loves each and every one of us right now. Fourth dimensionally, amen? Yes. On into eternity forever and ever. 